Okay, the scripture this morning is Galatians 2, 11 through 21. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a gentle and not like Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and are not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is right here where we're going to use it. Um, hey, good morning, everybody. Man, it is Baptism Sunday and Sweatshirt Sunday. In the other order, Bap wait, Sweatshirt Sunday and Baptism Sunday. It's like, <laughs> um, hey, I want to take a quick minute to thank the teams. The teams did an awesome job. We are portable, so Baptism Sunday is a portable operation. Can we thank the wonderful tech teams, sound teams? You wouldn't believe... How much time in staff meeting our staff puts into thinking about how to get the water warm for you guys, that is a labor of love. Um, so we're excited to celebrate this with you. Thank you for coming in and, and celebrating this with us. I just want to echo what Cindy just said. If you are feeling a tug in your heart to be baptized today, it's just as she said it's in the scriptures, here's water. Let's go ahead and get baptized. If, that, if you're ready to, to make a decision, you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you want to declare that today, we'd love to talk to you and we really are prepared for you. And I'd encourage you to find an usher back in that corner if, if you want to see them. But let me, let me pray and then we'll, we'll jump into our teaching. Father, thank you so much for uh, the four lives we're going to be celebrating today through baptism. It's such a joy to, do, to celebrate this with them because, man, this is what it's all about. We're just, we're just so thankful for the way you're working in their lives and in our community to help people come to know and grow in Jesus. And as we've been talking about, as we've been going through the, the book of Galatians, we just recognize that none of this is at our own initiative, at our own doing but all completely at, at your initiating love through Christ. And so, Father, what, what a special day. Would, you, would this be, first and foremost, honoring to you, but also just a wonderful time in the life of our, of our community? And, Father, now as we turn to your word, would you please open it to us through the power of your spirit? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Galatians 2 today, verses 11 through 21, which Lauren just read for us. And the question... 
uh, we're asking today is, how do Christians grow in the faith? How do Christians grow in the faith? It's kind of an important question, wouldn't you say? And there are any number of ways we could go about answering it. How do Christians grow in the faith? Well, reading the Bible, okay? Saying prayers, uh, being in community and in relationships, uh, serving others. Uh, These are all wonderful ways that we could grow in our faith as Christians, but all of these are external means for growing in our faith, outward ways that we grow in our faith. They don't speak to the heart of how we grow in the faith. That's what makes the text in front of us today in Galatians 2 just so important and so helpful. What we've been saying up until this point in Galatians, just over and over, because it's a bit of a theme throughout the book, is the gospel is not something Christians believe and then graduate from. The gospel is also the means, the basis from which Christians grow in the faith. Now, what is the gospel? Okay, if you've been coming for any length of time in this series, you've been reading along with us through the book of Galatians, you should know this answer, what the gospel is, because that's what Paul is saying over and over again. What is the gospel? The gospel literally in Greek means the good news. It's we stood... Sinner, uh, stood before God as sinners, guilty, separated from him in relationship, but God sent his son into this world to die on the cross for our sins, and because God the Father raised him to life on the third day, we too will have eternal life with him, a restored relationship with him, based entirely on what he has done for us. Galatians just totally emphasizes. It's God's sheer grace, unmerited favor, And it's only received, it's grace received by faith and faith alone. Meaning good works, anything we could do, doesn't add to the equation. We don't don't bring anything to the equation. Or to use uh, theological terms, which our text introduces today, theologians love love this word, it's the doctrine of justification. I wonder if you've heard that before, if you've been in church for a while. Uh, That word is here in our text. If you look at verse 16, Paul says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, that is, obeying the laws uh, and the commandments perfectly, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. To be justified means to be in right standing before God. It is an act of God's free grace that when we put our faith in Jesus, he receives us as accepted in his sight, pardoned of sins, and seen as righteous, and we're restored in our relationship with him. That's that's the doctrine of justification, act in the moment we receive him. We're brought into right standing before God. And Paul is teaching that here in the text. The gospel justifies us. But what he's also teaching in this text, even though he doesn't use the word explicitly, is the gospel is also the means for our sanctification, If justification is an act of God's free grace where we're accepted in his sight, sanctification is the ongoing work of God in us to make us increasingly like Jesus, to increasingly help us become loving and and selfless and holy and, and pure and the like of it. And the profound thought that this text begins to unpack, or that we'll unpack from this text today, is that the gospel is not just the means for our justification, meaning our right standing before God, It's also the means for our sanctification, the way we grow in the faith. I had a former pastor who used to put it this way. The gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. 
Or Martin Luther, the famous reformer, said of this text that we're looking at today, very famously, the gospel is something we need to, quote, beat into our heads continually. Classic Luther language right there. It's a prof- that, that statement alone has had profound impact on human history. But right from this text, we need to beat the gospel into our heads continually. It's an ongoing thing. The gospel is not something we just believe and then, and then we move on. It's, it's the way we grow. It's the basis for which we grow. I want to do something a little bit different today, structurally with you, as we kind of get into our message today. And that is state up top what I believe the main point from our text is. Normally, if you're paying attention, you've been around, I kind of unpack it as I go. Today, I just want to say it and then we'll, we'll unpack it as, as we go. Uh, here's the main thought I believe we see in our text, and especially from the first part of the text which is where our focus will will primarily be. It seems to me this text is saying Christians must continually walk in the gospel because it is frighteningly easy to believe the gospel and yet not live out its implications. Let me say that again. Christians must continually walk in the gospel because it is frighteningly easy to believe the gospel or think we believe the gospel and yet not really live it out not live out its implications. Uh, tech team, if you wouldn't mind leaving that slide on the screen for just a little bit longer. I know there's a lot there. We're going un- to unpack it as we go. But we need to continually walk in the gospel because it's, really, it's frighteningly easy to, to stray from it and not live it out. And if you want to know how frighteningly easy it is to believe the gospel and yet not live out its implications, just look at Peter. I mean, in this text, we have a case study of Peter not uh, believing the gospel and not living it out. Peter, Jesus' main dude, his main disciple, his main student, the one whom Jesus said, this is going to be the leader of my church. The one whom Jesus renamed from Cephas, another name Peter went by, to Peter, which literally means rock. And said of him, it's on this rock, your profession of faith, Peter, it's on that rock, I'm going to build my church. That Peter failed, believed the gospel, and yet failed to live out its implications. And not just in a kind of, sort of way. We're talking in an embarrassingly egregious way. Because Peter was backsliding into racism. I mean, think about that for a second. That's a, that's a big deal, what Peter was sliding into, all because he was living out the gospel. Now, real quickly, as a, as a quick sidebar here, uh, I love that the scriptures include accounts like the one we're looking at. This embarrassing account of Peter, the first pillar leader of the church. Why is that refreshing to me? Because it is refreshingly real. Because it's about people, and people need Jesus. And it's, it's, it's a really fact. I love the fact that the paper, excuse me, that the, that the Bible has zero interest in trying to paper over instances like these, of, of Peter just struggling with it. It's embarrassing, and yet the Bible's like, no, we've got to deal with this, which is the occasion for this sermon. Uh, last week, if you were here, uh, CT pe- preached a wonderful sermon, and uh, focusing in on Galatians 2, the first half of the chapter, and what we saw there was the occasion for Paul visiting Peter and some of the leaders in Jerusalem. If you were here, Paul, the week even before that, had come to faith and told his story how he came to faith through revelation of God, sharing the gospel to him. And for a number of years, over 10 years, he just spent time on his own 
going back, looking at the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, trying to make sense of it all, trying to figure out if the gospel that he got from God really was from his word. He decided that that was absolutely true, absolutely the case. And so what we saw last week is he decided, okay, now that he felt confident about that, he made the journey to go see Peter and some of the other church leaders in Jerusalem. And there, on that occasion, they all decided together, they all agreed that the gospel is the gospel. <laughs> that the gospel is really faith in what Jesus has done alone, and you can't add anything to it. They basically had a little council, if you will. They all decided, yeah, that's the gospel. We good? We're good. All right. That was last week. P uh, Paul went to see Peter. This week, second half of Galatians, we, we were told of an instance where Peter now goes to visit Paul. In, excuse me, in Antioch. So Peter leaves Jerusalem, so Jewish territory, to go to Antioch, which is Gentile or non-Jewish territory, where the first church had really started. It's actually the, the same city where uh, people were first called Christians. Uh, and it was the home base where Paul was kind of making his way out into the Mediterranean world, Gentile world, non-Jewish world, to tell people about Jesus. So here at Antioch, we had Gentile Christians. Peter went to visit Paul there in Antioch, okay? And Paul was out and about doing what Paul was doing, out telling people about Jesus. So he wasn't there at the time. And what we see is when Peter first gets there, everything's all good, right? Peter's chilling with the Gentile Christians. They're hanging out. Everything's, everything's great. But all that changed, we're told, when it says in verse 12, certain men came from James. Now, real quickly, James was another leader in the early church, and James believed the gospel. We know that from last week's text. We know that from a bunch of other texts in the scriptures we won't spend time looking at right now. James was solid in the faith, but these guys who were representing him were absolutely not. Have you ever been to a conference where, you know, you're listening to a speaker and it's like the secondhand person representing like the, 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 the leading thinker, like who's not there at the conference? And, you know, it's kind of a lieutenant speaking on, on their behalf, right? And you're just letting, you're like, wait a minute, I don't think the original dude would say it that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've been there a couple times. It's like, it's just, it's classic human nature when you're representing the person to not necessarily get it right. Well, with this case, these certain men from James, they were totally getting it wrong. And really what they were doing is they were bringing in this false gospel, which is the whole occasion for this book of Galatians to begin with. And this false gospel they were bringing was, yeah, you've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. God raised him to life on the third day. You've got to believe that. But you must also believe, you must also accept Jewish customs and live those out, including circumcision. And then, and only then, when you do that, then you will be good with God. You'll be brought back into a relationship, and you'll be brought into the relationship with the fellow Jewish Christians. And as you've been seeing here in this in this book of Galatians, Paul has had no shortage of small words to kind of appeal, uh, to, to uh, respond to that. But that's what these guys were preaching. That's who came into this, you know, little dynamic where Peter was hanging out with these Gentile Christians. And we're told in verse 12, very sadly, very tragically, that when they arrived, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And what's worse, Paul continues, verse 13, the other Jewish Christians joined Peter in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. That must have been especially embarrassing or even piercing to Paul because Barnabas was Paul's best friend at the time, his main missionary partner. 
The same guy who was probably out there with Paul dealing with the same heresies that he was now falling into. Is this making sense? And Paul is seeing all this. He's drawing the conclusions. He realizes the, the lowest common denominator of this massive issue that's starting to take place was Peter, this, this pillar of the church. So this scene kind of reminds me of a 90s movie, you know, lunch hour scene. You know, it's like Peter and the Jewish Christians are hanging out over here, and the Gentile, you know, it's like the jocks. Well, I don't know, you choose who the jocks are, right? We got the cheerleaders, the plastics. There's a little mean girl reference there. You know, the nerds over here. Peter and the Jewish Christians are hanging out over here. The Gentile Christians are hanging out over here. Just imagine what the Gentile Christians were thinking. You know what I mean? They knew the reasons for why they were separating. And could you just, that's what's going on. It's no, it no small thing. Paul rolls up. And he goes, Peter, you too? You got to be kidding me. Calls him out. All right, that's the scene. That's the backdrop for a radical principle Paul gives us in verse 14. That I want to look at and we're going we're gonna to talk about. We've already kind of set it up. It's this principle that the, the gospel is not something we just believe and then next move on from. But the gospel is something that we believe and then it's the means for which, it's the basis for which we then grow as Christians in the likeness of Jesus. Because what we see here is Peter's issue was not believing the gospel. Peter believed the gospel. Peter's issue was living it out. So here's Paul's assessment in verse 14. We're just going to look at his assessment first, and then we'll get into his words. But we see this radical principle here. He says, when I saw that Peter was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel... I said to him in front of them all, and he kind of gives his little speech. Peter was not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. That was the charge. That was the principle. Now, if we can, I want to get a little technical with you because I think it's, it's helpful. There's a Greek word embedded in this verse that really kind of illuminates what's going on here. And it's a Greek word that I imagine that even if you don't know the Greek language, you probably will recognize it. And that's the Greek word orthopedo. Okay? A pedo, of course, is where we get the word for podiatrist. Pedo means literally to walk. Now, walking is a very important metaphor, metaphor in the, the Old and New Testament scriptures. Because to walk, as it is used here, doesn't just mean to, like, move about, right? To walk in the scriptures, it means, like, our, it, all of life encompassing. Like, our, our whole life direction. That's what, it, that's what it means to walk. That's why, for instance, in 1 John, the apostle writes, walk in the light. I mean, what does that mean? Other than let your whole being, your whole life direction be influenced by the light. The NIV translation that we're looking at here, though, chose to use uh, the word to act in line with the gospel. And some of the Bible scholars I was reading uh, this week in preparation said that that word, is, word choice is probably a little weak because to act on something means your volition, it means your, your will. But to walk, pedo, to walk means your whole of life. It means it encompasses your, your motivations, your, your behaviors, your feelings, your, your thoughts. Okay, that's, that's, that's uh, pedo. And then ortho means straight. Okay, if you go to the orth orthodontist, you go and you have, you know, crooked Dantics, you want them to be straightened, right? It, it, means, it means to straighten something. Or use another metaphor here. It's like if a highway patrol officer pulled someone over thinking they might be under the influence, they might have them walk straight, like walk a straight line, right? 
Paul was charging Peter with not walking straight in line with the truth of the gospel. He was saying that Paul was, uh, excuse me, Peter was, was veering off, and that was a massive deal. I mean, humanly speaking, if this thing didn't get course corrected right then and there, that was Christianity, right? I mean, now, I said humanly speaking. God can do and would do whatever he needs to do, right? But the bigger point is, humanly speaking, it's a big deal. It could have ended the whole movement. And so Peter, excuse me, Paul saw this, saw the gospel was at stake, and so he brings it to a head. And here's what he says in verse 14. He says, Peter, you are a Jew, Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, here's what I want us to notice as we start to kind of look at this. Notice that as Paul appeals to Peter about his racism, he doesn't go to places in the scripture that teach that racism is wrong. That's a sin. He could have. What does Paul appeal to Peter on the basis of? He appeals to Peter on the basis of the gospel. I mean, he's essentially saying, Peter, God did not come to have fellowship with you based on your race and your culture. He came to be in fellowship with you in spite of who you are in every single way, to love you and care for you. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, Peter, you have forgotten the gospel. Peter, you are essentially living out the implications. You're applying the grace of the gospel in these areas of your life. You're living like a Gentile, even though you're a Jew, you're eating like a, you know, you're eating the, the good pig, you know, I mean, you know, you're doing all this over here, you're applying the grace, the gospel over here, but you're not applying it over here, for instance, in your fellowship with your Gentile brethren. And he just, he just calls them out uh, on the basis, not just that racism is sin, which it is, on the basis of it, it's out of line with the gospel. He's not walking straight in the line of the truth of the, of the gospel. All right. There's the principle. Let's talk about it in terms of like real life, how this plays out. Like how, how does this look in our real lives? Paul here is working with this principle with a very real case study, okay? Peter is our unfortunate case study in this sense when it comes to racism, okay, favoritism. Now, we might be thinking, you know, here we live in the 21st century America and the Bay Area to boot, Silicon Valley. We probably don't struggle with this, this issue like they did back then. That might be the case. We might not, you know, decide to separate ourselves from other Christians because of their cultural or racial, heaven forbid. But you know what? We do have to consider these things. And if there's been anything over the last couple of years that our society has seen about human nature in general is that, boy, we can wrestle with these things when we like to pretend they're not in us. And here's the thing that really hit me like a ton of bricks as I was studying this text this week and thinking about it personally. It's like, man, if Peter could fail in this regard, you and I can fail in this regard. Peter believed the gospel. He was a loving, selfless dude, and yet he was backsliding in these ways. It might not look the same way for you and me today in our culture and time, but you better believe the gospel calls us to look at our own hearts and consider these things. Okay, how could this look like for us today, even if it might not be the same degree or same way that it worked in the early church with them separating each other over mealtime, right? It can happen in far, far more subtle ways, wouldn't you say? Let's just play with this, okay? Let's just think about these case studies. So for instance, maybe we come from a culture where our culture is very relational. You know, 
loving, emotional. And we, the way we think about it, especially when it comes to other types, is, well, they're just not as warm as I am. You know, those, those people aren't as caring. Or maybe we come from another culture that's very punctual in nature, nature. you know, rational. And, you know, we look at others and go, man, that's why they never get anything done, those people over there. Always arriving late, leaving early, all that sort of stuff. It's, it can happen very subtly. Talk about racially, talk about culturally, actually more in that sense. Or let's think about it not racially or culturally. Let's think about socially, socioeconomically. What about those people who just don't see, see things the same way I do, through the same lens or, or living standard that I have? What do we do when it comes to these sorts of things that I think if we're real about it, they do live deeply entrenched in our lives? How would we apply what we're talking about today? Walking straight in line of the truth of the gospel. Well, number one, it starts with going ahead and assuming that we probably struggle in these ways far more than we care admit or recognize. Because at the heart of it, the gospel says, I'm a sinner. Jesus came to rescue me. And these tendencies live inside of me. And I'm just going to go ahead and assume that they're probably living inside of me. In other words, not just seeing as those people's problems, a.k.a. Twitter, and just look at my own heart, right? And start to consider that. Okay, so that's one thought. But then it also goes something like this. And again, this is just a case study, okay? Let's say we're out and about, and we recognize this feeling of, I don't know, being irked annoyed, I don't know, when someone doesn't approach something the same way we did for reasons we just talked about. Maybe they're not punctual, and that's just the way we feel like we are. Instead of just dismissing that thought, which is classic human nature, and just moving on, sitting with that a little bit, and asking, hey, what, what might my annoyance here, my frustration, my, what, what might that mean of what's going on in me? Now, I'm not trying to, like, overly do this. Maybe, they're, you know, in the workplace, they didn't fulfill time, you know, management, all those sorts of things that we got to, like, you know, be mindful of. But I'm saying, like, if there's a deep down, like, something beneath that, maybe it's cultural, maybe it's racial, maybe it's social economic or any number of things that are related, it's sitting with that saying, why is my heart going there? And then, and then asking the Lord, like, how can, I, how can I preach the gospel to my, how can I walk in the, the line of the truth of the gospel in this situation? So first of all, recognizing that, man, that's not a good feeling. Second of all, Though it's hard to admit, maybe it's, it may be a little embarrassing, even just to myself. It's like, man, maybe that does affect the way that I treat others, even if I don't recognize it. Do you see how the gospel calls us to walk in the line of truth? The gospel is not just something we believe and then graduate from. The gospel is the basis for which we, we grow in the faith, grow increasingly into the likeness of Jesus. That's just one case study. We're just using the case study of our, our text here where Peter fell into racism and favoritism and, and the like. There, there are any number of things that we can talk about because, again, remember, this is a all-of-life, whole-life directional thing. We need to constantly be coming back to the gospel. And I, 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 don't, I don't like to be one for hyperbole, especially in you know, my, my position, but it seems to me that what we're saying here really does solve for so many of the problems we face in life. The gospel really is the answer to so many pains, woes, sufferings in our life. I don't want to like overly package it, wrap it in a bow type deal, but I do think there's something to understanding that, man, if we can get this, we could face anything. Because if you go back to Galatians 1, 
verse 4, you might remember that Paul there said, Christ gave himself to, quote, rescue us from this evil present age, okay? The gospel rescues us. In one sense, justification, it rescues us to bring us into a right relationship with him eternally. Wonderful. But in another sense, it's an ongoing rescue from the things that are enslaving in this life. Are we tracking? So there are a lot of things that really, at the end of the day, even, even potentially good things, let alone bad things like racism and favoritism, that can be enslaving, that can lead us down paths that are not life-giving to ourselves or to others around us. Let's take another case study. So we live in the Silicon Valley. This is a very work-based culture, okay? We got that. Work can have a very enslaving effect on our lives. I think I don't really need to make the case for that, right? It can have a, now, work, unlike racism, is not in and of itself bad or a sin. I mean, there's a lot of wonderful things at work. But there's a lot of enslaving things, even as work is a wonderful thing. There's a lot of enslaving components. Some of those things can be external, and boy, the gospel even speaks into that. But just to think about it from an internal perspective for a moment, work can have a very enslaving effect. So let's say we're really struggling, really frustrated, or down on ourselves, overwork, because if we get down to the heart of it, well, we're wrapping up our identity a little too much in our work. Boy, is that easy to do. It's real easy to wrap up our identity in work. And if we wrap up our identity in an inordinate amount in our work, boy, that leaves us on shaky ground. We can very easily be, become despair if things don't go our way or we don't get the promotion we feel like we ought, we just ought to have it or whatever the case might be. What would the gospel say to us? How, how could we Walk in line of the gospel in that situation. Well, it's recognizing that our identity, yeah, of course, ultimately comes from the Lord and his unconditional love, meaning whether or not we get that promotion or whether or not we're laid off or whether or not he's got us. He'll take care of us. Uh, maybe we find that underneath it all where we're really stressed or struggling with work has to do more with financial stability and con having control in that sense. Now, that's not in and of itself a bad thing. But if we're seeking that in an inordinate amount, it can be enslaving. I mean, it's almost ironic sometimes in the Silicon Valley. I don't want to over-trivialize this because it's not this trivial. But you can almost go to the point of like, man, I'm not making enough money. I'd really like to make more when you're making plenty fine to begin with. The big point here is we, how do we preach the gospel to ourselves? We preach the gospel by saying, you know what? Whether I get that, don't get that, the Lord's got me. He owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills. He's going to watch over you and me, even if it doesn't go quite the way we'd hope it to. And our trust can be secure in him, even as we, yeah, pursue financial stability, if that, that's the case. Or let's take one more example. Let's say in work, really at the end of the day, underneath all of it, the reason it's a struggle is we're trying to find power and status in our work. There's not a shortage of that in the Silicon Valley, sadly. But if we're doing that, and by the way, Christians are as susceptible, as susceptible to that as anyone. If we're doing that, then we need to recognize and preach to our hearts regularly things like the last shall be first. Things like the gospel saying things like, and, and the greater is, is the servant. And so the way we approach, you know, just one case study of work or or culturalism, racism, and another case study, or just really the myriad of things that come out of our lives is, is going, how does the gospel preach to this? How do we walk in line of the truth of that? I want to do two quick takeaway questions, and then we'll get to baptisms. Two quick takeaway questions. Number one, how can you walk in line with the gospel? How can you walk 
walk in line with the gospel. Whatever it is maybe you are wrestling with right now, you're struggling with, maybe you feel stuck, maybe you feel hopeless, maybe you just, you don't see a way forward. How can you walk in line with the gospel? How can you take whatever that is and hold it up to the gospel and look for your hope and trust ultimately in the Lord? Even as it's not to say you just cast those things away. How can you hold those things up? And the second question I'd say is how can we help one another walk in the line of the gospel? Because that's really the occasion of this text, right? Paul was helping Peter walk in line with the gospel. Now, I do want to make it clear, this is a text that is description, not prescription. The teaching here is not, okay, Christians, find Christians who are messed up and call them out already. (laughs) Right? That's not what it's teaching here. In fact, in a little bit, Galatians chapter 6, here's what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, say like a Peter... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Okay, well, what gives with Paul calling out Peter then? Well, it's kind of the exception that proves the rule. It's such an extreme case. What was going on? The gospel was at stake. Literal gospel was at stake, and he, as one apostle to another, was trying to help him. Is that making sense? It's kind of the exception that proves the rule. We're called to very gently look for ways to help one another walk in line with the gospel. How do we do that? Well, very practically, that's what we're hoping happens in our current groups, as we just open up our lives to one another. I love this, bearing each other's burdens, watching ourselves in this whole process. I mean, the gospel calls us to, as we're helping each other, assume that we don't have it all figured out, which is true as we try to help them. Is this me? And, and, and we need their help as well. Uh, one little extra thing, this is not in the text here, I would say this is where questions are really helpful. Like we don't want to be preaching at people. We just want to draw it out. How can we help each other walk in line of the gospel, point people to the gospel, walking in the truth, walking straight in the line of the gospel? How do Christians grow in their faith? It's through the gospel. We believe the gospel, we receive it, we're justified, but the gospel is also the way we grow in him. It's the basis for which we grow into the likeness of Jesus, which is a profound thought. You know, every once in a while down the years of ministry, I've heard people say, oh, I really want to go deeper in my faith. Okay. You want to know how you go deeper in your faith? You grow in the gospel and living out its implications. It's not about attaining unto some higher spiritual high, It's not about even gaining more knowledge of the scriptures, which is an important thing, precisely because it points us to the gospel. It's not about just serving more people already, which is important, we're called to. It's about growing in the gospel. And I'll just say, anecdotally, the people that I have come to know who are the most mature, I mean, dare I say, not only as Christians, but really as people that I've personally experienced are... um, older mentors of mine who just seem so mature precisely because their understanding is they don't have it all figured out and they're trying their best, needing God's help to learn to live out the gospel. There's such a humility there. And if you ask them about their, you know, how they've got it figured out, how their walk with the Lord is going on, they'll, they'll likely answer, well, it's, I don't have it figured out. I'm, I'm just learning more and more how much God loves me. And that's what we're talking about. 
That's growing in the faith as Christians. Not just believing the gospel and moving on. It's letting it sink deeper in our heart and living out its implications. So how can you walk in line with the truth of the gospel? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that it's not just some uh, foundation of slab that we believe and then just build on, but it's actually more like a wheel that our whole life has these spokes coming out of it, and it's, and it's the hub. And Father, for those of us who are followers of you, we, we confess that we more often than not, or care to even see or recognize in our lives, we do tend to veer away from walking in line of the gospel. But we thank you that that's, that's the very place your love continues to meet us. So Father, would you root out things in us that hurt ourselves, hurt others, and, and when we don't even recognize it, would you help us see that for ourselves, and would you help us graciously, gently help each other in that as well? We thank you that this is all covered with the grace of Jesus. It's not based on us figuring it out. It's just, it's just your good grace working itself out in, in our lives. And so we say thank you. And then, Father, now as we move to baptisms, what a, what a joyous occasion to celebrate the, thing, the very thing that we're talking about, this picture of, of our death to sin and coming to life because of what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for each of these individuals who are going to be baptized today. Would you bless them? Would this be a wonderful spiritual marker for them? And most of all, would this be bring a smile to your face? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.